everybody. It's it's uh, it's your favorite show that goes live on Mondays. It's hey, did you see this one? As always, cohorts and crime and punishment. Gonna invite Boba Blackfly and Ackley Clan. Ackley, Ackley, a killin'. A killing. He's a killing. The Achilles oh, heel to my Joe Sylvan Argonaut. Nope. It's Jacob and the Arx. Joe. Um, my brain's broken. I had a long day. Chick, 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 chick. Oh, there we go. All there is left to ask is. Oh, hey, sorry, I forgot to. Did you see? Oh. One second, one second. Wait, wait. Oh, wait. Okay. oh yeah, you're pretty... Okay, it's the, it's the 1940s or the 1950s now. I think it's the it, 50s. It's the 1950s in Kalen's It's, it's 1959 world. is the year the movie takes place. And that movie is, hey, did you see this one? Hey, did you see this one? In the Summer of Summer movie series... Uh, stand by me. Uh, we did it. We watched Stand By Me. And here's the thing about Stand By Me I didn't remember. It's very, it's a very quick watch. It's just under an hour and a half. And it's very, e it's a very easy watch. And a lot of the tropes from the movie have been repeated across many other movies and television shows. So it's uh, it was an interesting watch. Um, how did you guys do? How did you guys do? How did you guys do with it? I have two pages of notes. Nice, nice. I'm not sure if this one counted. Actually, uh, so I just want to last last episode. I was trying out this character. Uh, it was this drunken, obnoxious character, and this episode, <laughs> I'm not trying that character. Well, how about I try that character this time? Nice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try a new character I've been working on every week, uh, every time that we've done this show, and it's uh, have a single beer while we're recording. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'm gonna that sounds like a. I uh, so I'm not sure if this one counts, um, for the title said. But if it does count, it's set at the very end of the movie at the hour and 24 mark. He does say it? Oh, you mean no, 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 because the they song, play the song? The song <laughs> can you count that or no? I'm not sure if we can. Well, I, I think mean, we if can. If you want to get, get technical about it, the song plays throughout the movie many times incorporated into the OST, original score. That's yeah. true. But they don't. The melody, it's just the, the melody. melody. That's true. They don't say the words. Fine. Never mind then. One hour, twenty-four minutes in. <laughs> so this is uh, also this is the first official week that Steve is a part of the show officially. Uh, we sort of made it official when we did uh, when we did the sound lot uh, two weeks ago, but we were still deciding whether or not he would be an official. Member, so everybody, please welcome the newest member to, of the Make some, uh, podcast. Some uh, celebration emojis or whatever they are. Yeah, put some emojis. Yeah, put 
Okay, let's put yeah, some emojis in the chat. For me. Put your emojis <laughs> Put your hand clapping emojis together. Okay, this is how we got four people it. watching. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate you guys uh, continuously inviting me back until I eventually just became part of it. It's great. Yeah, you know, it took three episodes, I guess. Hey, somebody liked... Whoa, I've never gotten a like before. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Dreyfus is back. Richard yeah. Dreyfus is back. He's he's a part. He's a staple in our summer movie summer movie series. He's a summer. summer man. He's a summery he's guy. A, he's a great narrator. I fucking love his voice. Yeah, better, it's true. Uh, one of my first notes is Richard Dreyfus is a better narrator than the guy from The Sandlot. <laughs> he he could have. He, he yeah. could have been. He should narrate everything. I saw a lot of parallels between these two movies. It almost felt yeah. like the Sandlot. This like this is like an R-rated, not really a family movie. Uh, and the Sandlot, the director and writers went out to be like, "Why don't we make a G-rated Stand by Me for children?" Yeah. What is what is this rated? Uh, I was uh, before I before it, it there was be, PG thirteen. I think it's be PG thirteen because no, but I think it was before there was PG thirteen. Oh, maybe it's rated no. R. I think it might be rated R because they it's they're swearing and stuff. There's a child corpse at the end, so there's a child's corpse, and they say the F slur a lot of times. There's a there's some they do. yeah. I wrote <laughs> that down in fucking, here. Did uh, that call fucking each other ace, I tell you. In the fifties, I didn't know that that was a like a thing to jab each other with back then. Yeah, I thought that was um, more of a nineteen eighties thing. I mean, the movie was you probably written. Tattoos? Yeah, it came out in 1986, so it's uh, it's probably written very, very near 1986. They're it's like, no, people can understand this is 50s slang. <laughs> based a, on a novella, yeah, by uh, Stephen King. It's a Stephen King story that's not horror, but has horror it's elements. Horrifying. Yes, and there's a scene in it that I completely forgot existed, but may have made me like not like vomiting in movies. But there's a they get the puke fest where the the uh, Gord is like Gord's good at right Gord okay so we got the cast Gord played by Will Wheaton is kind of the like kind, we're seeing things from his point of view I felt like but he's yeah. like the smart one in the group you know yeah I wrote down all four of their names and what their sort of like tropey thing is their archetypes their archetypes but they're they're also like sort of archetypes from childhood not so much in like classic literature or film they, they're sort of like encapsulate a friend group pretty well even if you had more right. or fewer people within your friend group they really kind Hi, of like spread it up over these four characters very well which is gordy is like the introverted smart person right uh chris is the leader of the group but he also has a god dang heart of gold um Vern is like the lovable goofball, but he's also sort of a sweetie pie. Uh, and then Teddy is the unhinged daredevil. <laughs> yeah. And those, with, yeah. those kids are played by River Phoenix plays Chris Chambers, the like leader of the group. River Phoenix, of course, famously died in, in front of the Viper Club of an overdose. Um, Will Wheaton from Star Trek fame plays Gordy. Uh, Corey Feldman is Teddy, and he's very Corey Feldman in this movie. And the outlier here, uh, a lot of people forget that Jerry O'Connell uh, from Sliders made his movie debut here. 
Yes, this um, is the first movie he ever made. Yeah, he was maybe doing acting his... before, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so we're going to refer to them as um, Wesley Crusher, Indiana Jones, yeah. Sliders, <laughs> and Tommy Jarvis. <laughs> And yeah, River. What, who's River Phoenix? Tommy Jarvis? No, River Phoenix is Indiana Jones. He was in the third Indiana Jones. He plays young Indiana Jones at the very beginning of the movie. Oh yes, nice. yes, I remember. He also played uh, Overdose Victim Number One in Real Life. Oh, God. In real life. oh Jesus! So, yeah, yeah. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. It happened in 1993, um, but. Yeah, it is kind of shitty because rewatching this movie, like I, I haven't watched too many things with River Phoenix in it, but I do have a note here that is three of the four kids have an intimate crying moment in the movie where they break down emotionally. And then uh, Jerry O'Connell has the moment where he's running from the train and is meant to be crying. And to be fair, he does look scared. But, That's because of Rob uh, Reiner got pissed off at them. Yeah, I heard he like yelled at them or something, like to yeah. make them be terrified. They were fucking of the train up the shot behind. Um, um. So sorry, you guys froze for a second, and I was like, "Is my internet dying already?" Um, I did write down that. Um, if you were to rate them, one being the best, we'll go through like first to last. And the first, obviously, is River Phoenix's scene where he breaks down about the milk money. Um, yeah, and then the, the second is maybe Will Wheaton when he is at the end where he's kind of sad that his dad doesn't love him, and then the final one is uh, when Tommy Jarvis, our friend Teddy, uh, is just like putting his hand in his face and pretending to cry, and I'm like, this kid isn't crying for real. <laughs> no, Corey Feldman. What after the junkyard? After the junkyard scene? Oh, we got we got some legs. Sorry, I had to. Maybe. Corey Feldman is kind of a ham. Turn my fuck. Data. You guys get any data? Of that? Um, just that last part right now. <laughs> I was rating my my children crying from one to three. We, we got all the ch- we got all the children crying up till you started talking about Corey Feldman. Oh, Corey the, Feldman. The, are you talking about the scene after the junkyard for Corey Feldman? Yeah, like, I liked all of the stuff in that scene when he's, like, freaking out at the fence because I, he did feel like he was getting legitimately angry. But when it came to his emotional moment where they're all sort of, like, carrying him afterwards, I was like, okay. Yeah. That's, like, the one part in the entire movie where I, it kind of took me out because I was like, eh. I don't How did you so. write Will Wheaton's fainting scene when oh he had God. a leech on his penis? I wrote down... <laughs> Gordy fainting is very good, and I underlined very good <laughs> because his fainting was hilarious. Like I yeah, laughed out loud. I vaguely remembered that scene. See, my relationship with this movie is that I, over the years, I've seen it, but I've never seen it beginning to end. Yeah, and I always, <clears throat> I've all, and I didn't even really learn what their adventure was until much later in life. I would just, yeah. I never saw the part where I, they, I managed to see bits and pieces of this movie and never saw a single scene of them being like, we're going to find a dead body. It was always like, oh, it's just it's these kids on a, a on an adventure. They're going on an adventure together. Yeah, and they're going to have I, a, 
Anytime you hear like a Simpsons or a Family Guy saying, <laughs> "You guys want to see a dead body?" They're re- literally referencing this movie. Yeah, but it's always like uh, it's like the old homeless guy is referencing yeah. it, and it's, <laughs> well, it's that's probably ju- uh, it's probably Corey Feldman's character playing. A yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's returned. He's returned. Uh, no, Corey Feldman's career uh, has been interesting lately because he has this him trying to blow the whistle on um, you know horrible Harvey Weinstein types by Why having no credibility. But he has no credibility because he's a fucking insane person who has like a bevy of of stripper models who play instruments for his weird like Michael Jackson like pseudo cover band. So. <laughs> yeah. He's not the person to do it. I, I feel horrible for him. I feel horrible for his existence in Hollywood. He had a very rough go. The, the, the two Corys, River Phoenix. I mean, well, yeah, of course. But I'm just saying, like, his behind-the-scenes life in Hollywood was, was hor- is horrifying. But the unfortunate thing is, is you do all these drugs for all these years and turn into an insane person, you have no credibility left. So whether or not you're telling the truth or not, nobody's going to listen if you're a raving lunatic. And that's just sort of the way things have gone for this man. Is he friends with Macaulay Culkin? I'm sure he was at one point. Macaulay Culkin has seemed to come out on the other side of yeah. things. He's got a like an internet network of podcasts. He's He shows up on um, like movie review shows on the internet nowadays. He, he's he on the Joe to, Rogan podcast. Yeah, he's done Joe Rogan. Uh, he's notably been on um, the uh, Red Letter Media shows a few times, and they're pretty good. They're pretty good at uh, movie review. Vulcan? Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, I just got a new phone, and it keeps like going to dark screen. I'm gonna see if I can go into the settings real quick and stop it from doing that. Like I can't. Yeah, if you just go to the if you go to the settings and just change the thing to like. 30 minutes or an hour. I had to do that for my phone as or well. none. No sleep whatsoever. Or, yeah, no sleep for the no sleep for the telephone wicked. I assume we're getting a loading stream just because he's in the settings menu. So, me I and with your thoughts. Um, right, so just to go back to what I was saying before we got into the archetypes, that scene is, is they, they, they hunker down for the night and, and River Phoenix is like, hey, Gordy, why don't you tell us a little, uh, why don't you tell us a little story since oh. you're so good at telling stories. And he tells a story about Lardass or whatever. Oh, we lost him. You might, well, you might need to invite him again. <laughs> we'll invite him back here in a second. Lardass, uh, yeah. Man, I can't t- believe, well, I mean, obviously it's a story, but like the whole town. They all call him that. Even the Shriner Brothers or whatever they call the Shriners or whatever they boom ba da boom ba. The B O A. They're called B O A in this. I didn't really know what it stood for, but I don't know. What, yeah, they, you know what that stands for? No, I didn't. Uh, oops. Hope I invited the right person. Um, I didn't really catch, but they were supposed to be Shriners, right? Like they had those hats on. Yeah. The, the, the cone hat. Fez. Fez. Yeah. I think so. Um, did you, uh, did you have anything to, did you have any problems with throwing up in movies as a kid? Because I really did. I think I figured Um, You got it? So, for for throwing up, I I, I was never very much of a squeamish person. 
especially like definitely not with movies and not too much in real life. Um, you know, I'd, I'd see some gross, like, that's gross. But like, that was about, about the end of it. One thing I will say though, even the audience was puking blueberries. But they yeah. Went to yeah. Although it, it, I guess it was a festival. So maybe they were all eating pies beforehand. The setup for this was really weird to me because the kid drinks a ball of castor oil and a fucking raw <laughs> egg. And the puke was the, like the one, the first puke was so obviously like he turned sideways and the puke yeah. is coming from like here. Yeah. And you can see like the disconnect between his mouth and the puke. But yeah. then they show people in the crowd, like just like regurgitating a little bit. And I thought it was a really weird. Well, the reason I can give it a pass is because it's a kid telling a story to a bunch of other kids around a fireplace. It's not supposed to. Exactly. Like, you don't need to suspend your disbelief or like hold yourself into some sort of standard of reality. <laughs> it's it it kind of goes into what you what you said last time about uh, about the sandlot and all their tall tales. Right. Yeah. I also and how it's wrote a... down. Wow, way more barf than the sandlot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that one part where they show the sidewalk. And, and the barf is so just, much. like, too much barf. And they're just caked when they're getting off the ride, and they're all fucked. Um, yeah. I also wrote down in the pie story, the kid's name is Davey, and they call him Lardass. Lardass. keeps calling him Lardass, and it's so funny. And I'm like, but his name <laughs> is Davey. They should have called him Gravy. Better <laughs> name. Better name. Much better um, name. But then I said, but to be fair, Barfarama is a good word that I don't hear very often anymore. Yeah, it's very it's very eighties, nineties, like you probably sure would probably be like Barfarama, dude. Yes. I heard somebody is is a sort of an aside, I heard somebody refer to the like Jake and Logan Paul as the modern day Polly Shore in that they're so a part of like modern pop culture to a fault that like they sort People of fit hate that them for it. Yeah, they they sort of fit into that same area, and uh, yeah, that's that, that was just an aside thought that I had. Um, also, this movie does the thing where they introduce the gun in the first act, uh, so of course you have to use it in the third act. Right. Um, that's a that's a thing. Yeah, I have a list here of things in this movie that I because I watched this movie maybe too young. This movie came out, I think, a year before I was born. So my dad, I guess, watched it when he... He probably saw it in theaters or something, and he was like, oh, this will be a great movie to show my kid. Right. And I was a literal child when I watched it, and so many things in this movie... I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I realized as I was watching it that so many things in this movie are directly linked to, like, fears that I had as a kid. <laughs> I think that that's accurate for me too especially the puking scene most most 80s and 90s kids teen movies had puking in them and i couldn't wrap my head around it and uh, also the dead body might have fucked with me a little bit too but like yeah. i said i didn't even i didn't even register that i knew what the plot was till much later in life so anyway go ahead sorry um well i mean well the, the first thing that i was like oh no kids aren't supposed to do that is when it's in the treehouse and they're all smoke like hacking darts as 12 year olds. And I was like, Oh my God, smoking is bad. And these kids are smoking. They're bad boys. Apparently it was um, cabbage leaves. Cause uh, Reiner is against cigarettes, which is weird that he put it in the movie at all. 
True. Yeah, the kids kids be smoking in the 1950s. Yeah, there's that really good, funny scene later on where they're all like acting like they're adults when they're smoking after they have their meal or whatever. Their dinner. Yeah, the best time to smoke have, right after the, a meal. It's time to have a smoke. Right after a meal. Smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like. Or they how, say right after supper, which is an old timey word that no one uses yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Supper, dinner. Oh man, I actually looked it up the other day. The difference between supper and dinner. Uh, I can go find the specifics, but one of them is later than the other. So it's supper like, at or, like... Do you mean that you use it later in life? Like you have to be over the age of 65 <laughs> to use the word supper? I'm pretty sure I use supper. But I think dinner... Um, so dinner, East, dinner so, so supper was an East Coast thing for us. I, Kalen, when we were growing up, our parents used supper for sure. Yeah. It's biblical. I oh, think yeah. uh, I the East Coast things. is very backwards. <laughs> Dinner goes until seven. Supper goes until ten. But we also called lunch dinner in Nova Scotia. I've heard people. Or some people that. did. I don't. I don't get that one. I can't. I can't. I can't excuse that one. Supper and dinner. Old I people. But uh, supper and lunch. No. It's the elders. <laughs> um, dinner lunch. So uh, next thing to freak me out was the gun. As soon as he pulls that gun out, you're like, oh my fucking god. It's a forty five. Yeah, and then the other kid says, Yeah, I know. And I'm like, yeah. these kids know about guns? How did, especially <laughs> how does how does Gord know? Because he's cool. I know he's obviously a, he's such a dweeb though. Yeah, he's a gun he's a gun nerd. Um, <laughs> as long as well as a whole bunch of other types of nerd. Um and then to top that off, the gun is loaded, making the gun even scarier than it was before. Because he's like, it's not loaded, and then fucking unloads around. They all yell, Jesus! Which is also yeah. very funny. Um, and then the diner lady comes out with the, yeah, quit lighting those firecrackers. Fireworks out here. And then yeah. they go around the corner and immediately are met by the most terrifying character of all time, Kiefer Sullivan. Kiefer Sullivan's oh, character yeah. from the Lost Boys, for some reason. Yeah. He's playing a slightly less uh, scary character known as Ace than his yeah. real-life persona, Kiefer Sullivan, who is more scary. Um, and tormented the kids Ace. on set, outside of filming yeah. as well. Yeah, I heard that he used to, like, bully them. Yeah. Um, which is, like, I mean, kind of maybe good What's method the... acting, but also method maybe acting, he was just exactly. a bully. <laughs> he was just actually a bully. He's like, no, yeah, yeah but, yeah, like, yeah. is it more... Is it movie more realistic. Is it better to make the movie more realistic like that? Or is it just being a dick like, you know, Jared Leto on Suicide Squad or, or uh, you know, Jim Carrey on Man in the Moon, where it's just like, you don't, you don't, this isn't yeah. that kind of movie, guy. You don't need and to it, take it to that level. Also, they're only in two scenes together. <laughs> yeah. like they're, at the <laughs> they're at the beginning and the end. Maybe um, that's why he need to do it so that the fear would be there because they didn't have enough scenes to build it. Right. I think also, like, one thing about this movie is the only family that you actually see is Gord's family, and you get a really kind of deep understanding about how he feels about his own family with those like, yes. flashbacks between his him and his... Or I think there's only his one brother, dream there's sequence, two. but he has two flashbacks with yeah. his brother being, like, a hero in his life. Played by John Q- a young John Cusack, which was crazy oh, to see. Yeah. And I think also, he died. For some reason, had he died in a jeep accident. Uh, for uh, was that explanation? 
Yeah, but I thought he died in at war. Like I thought no, he was in. No, that's uh, that's Teddy's dad, and yeah. he went oh. crazy from war, not dying in it. Um, also, but this, I have a theory about that. I think he just went crazy and talked about war, and his kid wants to hold on to that. I don't think he was actually in any wars. That's the impression I got based on the way that the uh, the junkyard guy was talking to him. Right. He was kind of like, okay. That's just the vibe I got. It's never explicitly it's never explicitly said, but the right. vibe I got from the way that the the junkyard owner was talking to Corey Feldman was that his dad was just always a crazy person, and just so, yeah. I think the, the where where I was going to with that was that you don't see any of the other kids' home lives, which could be you know a a, a product of the fact that you know timing obviously for the movie you can't fit all that kind of stuff in, but um, I think it also kind of strengthens the movie overall to only see Gord's family as he is the narrator of the story. And there aren't a lot of moments in the movie that break away from the four boys to show anything else, unless it's speculation on his part yeah. or um, that moment where Vern is telling the story about how he's looking for his pennies and then he hurt over the story <laughs> and he tells them kind of thing. The only mo moment that I gotta say, that like, scene though, that scene of him under the porch or whatever with all the holes everywhere, loved it. Yeah, that's a great scene. I, that's one that I remember. Yeah, that, I think that's that also kind of strengthens the fact that Vern is sort of the lovable goofball. He's like a sweetie pie in my brain because he's just like, he's he's the most innocent out of them all where he's like, yeah. I want to be a pirate, so I'm going to put all my pennies in a jar and then make a treasure map to find my pennies and then I lost my treasure map. <laughs> then I lost like, oh, the treasure oh, map. But he's very much, That's he is very much not. like, oh, shucks, oh, jeez, guys, oh, shucks, guys. Oh, my God. But he also has, like, the cutest moment in the movie where uh, he brings the comb. And he's like, I thought if we're going to be on the news, then, you know, we want to look nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on, they're like, like, oh, I lost the comb. Food, and he's like, no, the, like, like, slightly later, he's like, no, I didn't bring any food. And they're like, why didn't you bring any food? And he's like, I brought the comb. And the guy's like, yeah. what are you even bringing a comb for? You don't have any hair. And then he's like, I brought it for you guys. Like, yeah. Oh, my God, this kid has and then when the heart. train's coming later, when they're running from the train, he, of course, loses the comb, yeah. which is the perfect three-act structure. The, the perfect three-act structure for that comb. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a short-lived story, but the, the comb tale was one of the best in this movie, for sure. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, speaking of that scene... Um, I remember when I was a kid, I don't know about you guys, but we would have like police officers and stuff come to our schools and do um, assemblies where a bunch of kids would come in and the cops would talk to us. They usually talk to you about guns and uh, drugs and stuff, but drugs, for some reason, yeah. they, they always would talk about how dangerous train tracks are yeah. all the time. And I don't know if it's like a product of this movie coming out, like just before I was born, they were still in like an era where they're like, we lost another fucking 17 kids this year to train track injuries. <laughs> but it worked. And this movie I mean, they must have. even more scared. Because I'm they must have. maybe get close to a train track, but yeah. there's no way... You guys ever traveled down some train tracks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, mean, I have, like, I yes, in my life, but I would never go across a bridge because of this scene in the movie where... Uh, Gordy is like checking the vibrations in the. Uh, was he checking? Is that track. what he's checking for? Like vibration? I thought yeah. it might have been like heat yeah, he, or something. 
No, he was. No, if it was vibrating because a, a train is going to come, and, and you can see his hand. Sh- you can see his hand shake a little bit, and then he looks over, and then you see the smoke come from above the trees. Gotcha. And then they have about six seconds to get out of the way, and it's funny because it was just a, it was just an engine and one car, and yeah. <laughs> that the scene that like the imagery of the wide shot of this like engine and one car, and and the kids getting out of the way, I thought was like. Like really good. I, I don't know what it stuck out about it for me, but I really enjoyed that. Also, when they go to when uh, who is it? Uh, Chris and Teddy go to check on Vern and Gord. The they're in like a like they they jump off to the side, right? But then when they go to see where they are, it's such a rocky like little side patch. Like they would have gone way more fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember being like, are they going to hit water? Because it's been so long since I've seen it. And then they were just like all dusty and like down like a little bit of like a, an escarpment. And you're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I don't mind too bad. And then the next scene is Kiefer Sullivan playing chicken chicken with like a lumber truck. And yeah. you're like, oh, now I must write down that Ace is a psychopath. <laughs> Ace is a complete psychopath. Yeah, like, he's out of control, over the top. He's, he almost, if, if, if the gun wasn't, you know, fired by Gordy in that scene, near the end, he would have, he looked like he was gonna cut River Phoenix's neck. Oh, yeah. He went up to his ear, and he was gonna fucking gut him like a fish. Yeah. Which is uh, extremely intense. What happened to these slightly older teens? That made them all sadistic killers. I, I guess they're sensitized uh, as a kid. Like this, none of like watching the movie now. I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably not a kids movie. But like, I definitely watched it and <laughs> didn't really think yeah. that much of it. I was freaked that's out true. by almost all of it. Um, I'm I, like, I used to work at a summer camp for a long time, and there were leeches in the river that we would go through. Like, we would do like these river hikes. And uh, every time we would have you guys ever experienced have, leeches? Yes. Every time we would I, go in there, I would have a like a like a baggy yeah. like a, a sandwich bag just yeah. full of, filled with salt. Yeah. And we would get uh, out, and there would always inevitably be at least one leech, and you just have to sprinkle it on there, and it shrivels up and falls off. But I re- even remember like when I first started working there, they're like, "Yeah, you got to take your kids on river walks," and I was like, "You're not getting me in that river. There's leeches in there." <laughs> I, I was irrationally afraid. Yeah, I was irrationally afraid of leeches too, and I think it might be another one of those latent things in my brain from seeing this movie too young, forgetting yeah. about it, and then later in life seeing bits and pieces and being like, I feel like I was irrationally afraid of this movie in like as a teenager because of weird little things that I well, blocked out of, of my head. A lot of scary imagery in this movie, <laughs> and like, um, it's weird because you know, watching it now today that scary imagery is still there. Like when Will Wheaton pulls the leech out and his hand is covered in blood, it's like very yeah. contrasty to like, cause you don't see any blood really in the movie up until that point. No. And, yeah. um, you know, as a being, I was a little boy one time. And if I found a leech on my dick, I would probably faint as well. Or if not, <laughs> just like immediately start screaming or crying. Or um, develop a new fetish. But <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the train scene was really scary to me as a kid. The gun was really scary. The smoking was sp- spooky to me. The scrapyard dog was kind of scary. But uh, oh. 
I mean, there's also like these weird sort of like every um, every scene in this movie is framed so nicely, and I I put in parentheses here that the forest stuff yeah really yeah. feels um, when they show when they show a long shot down the train track that gave me chills. Yeah, it's almost that, like that you're gave watching, me a, uh, like a, like a fantasy movie. For a yeah, second, you know where they they've got the beams through the trees and everything is very soft in the background and it's so thick and lush and the train tracks going through it all. It's well, uh, I grew, where I grew up. I uh, I would go to um, like the super rural area up in uh, up in Middleton, Nova Scotia, which is like up by the Bay of Fundy. It's all forest. It's all you know a lot of scenes like Stand by Me, and I. The reason why looking down that train track really struck a note with me today uh, is because I, like, looking down a country road has sort of the same vibe, you know? And I really really was sitting here watching this movie just having flashbacks the whole time, just remembering goofing off in the woods with my friends in the same context. I never had a leech on my dick. Uh, but, I mean, me neither, you know, but I was always scared that it would happen one day. Absolutely. I've never experienced leeches once. Have you seen them uh, before, though? No, not in not in real life. Well, I think this movie is the only like time I've seen them, experienced them, and definitely made me scared of them, for sure. Well, you know Chocolate Lake? You know Chocolate yeah. Lake? There's leeches in Chocolate Lake. I think I've been there like maybe a handful of times. I did not. If I'm I knew saying. there were leeches there, I would not. I haven't been. <laughs> I, I just know that you swim in the Kearney Lake as well. Yes. What if I stay on top of the water? Well, I, you have to be around the, the fringes. If you if you if you're you know where there's like the tall grass that comes out of the water, that's where leeches live. Okay. They were in like swamp when they you know, Castle Rock is in Portland, I believe, which is like you know. It's also the, in the, every Stephen King work ever. Well, there's a but show called Castle again. Rock. Castle Rock yeah, is yeah, a Portland made up game. Castle Rock is supposed to be the same town that has Shawshank Prison in it. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. I think that this the the body that the short story that this movie is based on is also in like a collection of, I think it's four short stories, and it's called yeah. the, like the Seasons or something. It's something about the four seasons and each one I think is supposed to take place in a different season. This oh, this is, is summer. This is obviously yeah. summer. The yeah. other two that I know of that are in that book are Shawshank Redemption and Apt Pupil, which both have movies made off of them. Uh, you guys see Apt Pupil? I, I, ha- I haven't no. seen it in a very long time and I've only seen bits and pieces of it, I guess, similar to the... Uh, it's two a Jason. weird one. Yeah, it's got Ian McKellen and he's like a Nazi or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have like Toby Maguire or somebody. No, it has that other guy. Uh, he was in The Cure. He was also in Tom and Huck. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, I'll think. Oh, not Tom Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but uh, no, Zachary Taylor part. Thomas. <laughs> well, Zachary Taylor Thomas is the older <laughs> no, his brother. Name, his name is not Zachary Taylor Thomas. <laughs> Zachary Ty Bryan <laughs> and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, and the other one, who becomes <laughs> God. Yeah, anyway, so the, those, it's weird because, I, I mean, I assume at some point that fourth one will get made into a movie. I think that's like the winter up. Nice. Um, uh, also, in you the know, novella you say, or whatever, 
it, so you were talking about how it focused more so on Gordy, and that was a decision that Rob Reiner made, like when he developed it into the movie, because it it wasn't originally the story wasn't originally from his point of view like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read the book. Um, uh, I just thought it was interesting that potentially there's like a, a whole year's worth of tales that take place over this one sort of. It seems um, like there's a lot of Stephen King novellas too, because I know that there's they yeah. recently made in the Tall Grass, and another one called like 1912 1914. or 1914. Yeah, yeah. yeah and those are both the, novellas. What's the based... car one? The one with the car that kills people. Christine. The uh, oh Christine, no, yeah. um, Christine. No, uh, uh, hot hot wire. No, uh, no raw power. It's called Christine. <laughs> What's the one with Emilio Estevez with the with the cars that come to life? You're though? thinking of Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen. No, no Emilio no, Estevez no. with High Wire. Anyway, Raw uh, Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christine is also a short story. Tons of his short stories have been turned into movies. Not very many of his like long epic novels have been turned into movies because they're too hard to adapt. Whereas if you take a short story, you can easily stretch it rather than mm. uh, have to condense things. Um, but I did write down here that this kid, they all complain at the end about his, the end of the story not being great. And <laughs> that's something that com people complain about Stephen King about all the goddamn time is that he, he yeah. doesn't know how to end his books properly. They're always great up until the end. And he just doesn't know how to make an ending. Maximum uh, Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> That's a Stephen King movie where all the cars come to life. What? Is it actually Stephen King? Or is it just a movie yeah. with Emilio Estevez, The Money Dutchman? No, Stephen King's Masterpiece of Terror, uh, directed by the master himself. Maximum Overdrive, starring Emilio Estevez okay. and Trucks. Okay, yeah, well, I, trucks. I was thinking about Christine, the movie where the guy, his car comes to life and kills people. That's what I was thinking of. I want to know what this movie is that you're talking about. Christine? Did you say Stephen King also yeah. directed it? Yeah. I, I didn't know he ever directed anything. Oh, also, so I either say one Stephen thing. King wants to become a car, or he wants to fuck a car, or he just wants to run somebody over in his car. Right in the gas. Yeah. Thing. Okay, so, oh, yeah, Christine is just about a car coming to life, but Maximum Overdrive is about all the cars coming to life, so... That's way scarier than one car. <laughs> I wonder if they're. I wonder if they're related because we might just be missing the fact that Christine the book was turned into Maximum Overdrive the movie. No, Christine is a movie as well. Movie. But Christine is also a movie. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But okay, you know the Cobra Gang or whatever. You know yes. the yeah. blonde guy. Did you notice how his hair is like long on the side and back, but it's short and like it's like a flat top on top. Yes. Like, how is that a hairstyle? <laughs> what does that 50s. look like when it, it doesn't have? <laughs> but like, what it's does true. that look like when it doesn't have product in it? Like, it's like it's. It I don't even dumb. know. I don't know. It probably looks like you should be in the loony bin with Teddy's dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Hey, here's a little fact for you about the movie Maximum Overdrive. Oh um, Yardley, Yardley Smith is in it, who is, of course, the voice of Lisa Simpson. Ooh. That is interesting. Um, speaking of Cobra <laughs> Gang, <laughs> I wrote down, also, there's a lot of scars in this movie. A lot of people scars? have weird fake scars. Yes. The ear scar on Corey Feldman. 
the ear there's scar a lot of is the scar? first one you notice, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the the next one is one of the t- the other guy who comes out of the oh yeah Keeper Sullivan has like a weird eye scar, which is also yeah I think it's not Chris's real. brother. Yeah. Right, and then oh, so maybe he got fucked up by his dad as well, right? Maybe. Uh, it wasn't yeah. clear to me that that guy was his brother until later in the movie when he pulls his belt off and he's like, "I'm gonna whip you." Your butt or something, your butt wipe. He calls him a butt wipe. <laughs> um, the dad of Gordy has a like a lip scar, which I think is a real scar. Which is I think like, that one's that real. Actor yeah. has a scar. Um, there was there was another. One. Oh, and then they're also scarring each other to with the uh, tattoo. Yeah, tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I wrote he... down, "What does it mean?" Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's just a lot of them. I know. Well, I I wonder if in Fallout Three, um, you know how the gang are a bunch of greasers and they're called like the they're called tunnel like snakes. tunnel snakes. We're the tunnel snakes. That's hey, we're the tunnel we snakes. Rule. rule. Yeah. They maybe that was a maybe that was a reference to this possibly. Could be yeah. Okay. Um, I'm gonna save that till the end because I think it's a nice place to. So anyway, the movie we're talking about this week is Maximum Overdrive. Um, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. It's where no, all the I re- come to life. I liked it oh, when he funny. called him a goocher and then explained what a goocher is. And then I wrote down, as they're all talking in their weird, you know, small kid 50s dialect, I wrote, I have no idea what these kids are talking about. Yeah. Um, and this was the scene where they're sitting around in circles. In a circle. At the fire? Uh, in the junkyard. No, in the junkyard. And they're talking about okay. Mickey Mouse Club. And they're talking about Annette Fidicello. It's boobs. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, um, I didn't understand that reference either. Yeah, it's Annette Fidicello from the uh, those old beach movies. She was on the Mickey Mouse Club in the 1940s. Or the early ni- mid-1950s. Mid um, we talked about River Phoenix's death. Oh, there's a scene in the movie where River Phoenix says, this guy's not going to make it past 20 to, about Teddy. And I thought it was... It saddened me because this kid did such a, an amazing job in this movie that he barely made it past 20 in real life. And I was like, oh, yeah. Man. And Teddy uh, Teddy ends up living in the town forever when he's yeah, kind he, of going over They say he's the like doing odd jobs and just being a weirdo in town, yeah. But Chris Chambers got stabbed in the neck and he fucking died. Yeah, what in his team? That's, that's like the very first thing you see at the beginning was. of the movie. I wrote down that Chris Chambers is the dad. He is the dad of these kids, and like he so yeah. many times. So I wrote down he's the leader, but he's the leader with a, a heart of gold. He's not like the leader in the same way that Ace is the leader to his friends and, and treats them like, all like shit. And treats them all as shit. subordinates. And I think that uh, Chris like sees Ace treating these guys like this and he's like I can't become that guy and like I don't want to be the guy who is bossing my friends around so that they want to hang out with me because they're scared of me I want I want something better but I don't think that I can get it which is kind of like a direct sort of one of many things that he talks about throughout the, the movie that is the reason that he is willing to die to not let these guys take this corpse basically at the end of the movie it's like he he sees it all as like 
it's like the milk money story, which is an amazing scene, the most believable child acting I think I've seen, and like maybe one of the best child acting scenes I've ever seen. In any yeah, because River Phoenix was a fucking child prodigy gone yeah. way too soon. He killed it, man. Like that, he cries for real in that scene, and you know that he's like, he's either able to just turn that on, or he has some sort of like thing that he's able to access that a that lot of was aren't able to. Rob Reiner told him to think about a time that. Uh, what did he say? A time that, like, uh, an adult figure or whatever, like, he, like, he didn't, like, he, like, didn't get into too much specifics, but think about a time where, like, an adult figure, um, like, let you down or something like that. Right. So there was, so okay. was, there was something real. I mean, I was, it's, so it's I watched pretty, the, or what's it called, commentary. It's a pretty hefty, um, story as well. Like, it's, it's a story that you could see happening, and it's believable, and his reaction is believable. Or he went to somebody that he trusted to, to, you know, essentially atone for his actions, thinking that he was doing the right thing. And then it just ended up biting him in the ass. And not in such a big way that he's like, this has ruined my whole life. Because he's like, no, my life was already ruined. It just, all it did was make me realize that I am not going to be able to shake this persona ever. Yeah. Because these people yeah. have already decided who I am. And I'm stuck like this. And like, you know, he says as, through tears, like, I just wish I could move somewhere where nobody knew who I was. And that's like super heartbreaking. Um, but he also knows that he has no way into college because he's not smart enough. And he also knows that he has criminal expectation put upon him based on his older brother, based his on family, his yeah. dad, based on his family. Which is crazy to be that insightful as like a twelve year old or whatever they are, you know. Like that's that's some some real forward thinking, and I think Gord has a tinge of that too, where he's good at you know constructing stories. He's good at school, but he's the smart one of the two, and they're best buds. Um, I, I might venture to say there was a little bit more working there, a little a little bit of a like they loved each other a little bit, maybe not as. This afternoon when I was watching, I was like, are they going to kiss? They're going to kiss, aren't they? <laughs> Rather but, than love. Uh, I, I didn't that's what I want. That's where I wanted to go. That's where I want to go with it more realistically. I don't want to sit here and be like, they were going to smooch each other's faces. It's more <laughs> like they, they legitimately loved each other as brothers. Gordon didn't have a brother. Who told you that one? Biggest important. <laughs> He's like, you do. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> remember when we were comparing dick sizes? They... No, you know what? I, I, I did. I understand the energy, but that that's one of the things that I kind of like about the dynamic of at least the two of them, but also the others as well. Like they're not, they weren't shying away from being like intimate with each other in a very like uh, compassionate way, but without it being weird, you know, like when yeah. uh, Teddy is like breaking down from that junkyard man, like making fun of his dad, like they're all literally hugging him and like comforting him. And when and he threatens to tear off his head and shit down his neck. Yes, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, another <laughs> classic line from this movie that <laughs> that he was I later in Duke Nukem 3D." Child. <laughs> Swear it's also bad. Uh, I'm gonna tear off your head and shit down your neck. I mean, when when that happens, they're all comforting him, and then when Chris breaks down, that's like the most intimate moment in the in the movie, and um, Gordy is slightly less comfortable comforting him in that moment than 
Chris is comforting him at the end of the movie when he's breaking down about his dad not loving him. Um, Chris like literally like grabs him around his whole body and like hugs him as tight as he can. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is the same way that his brother, when he gives him the hat, is like hugging him. And he's he's I think he's like seeing Chris as like a surrogate, a force to fill to fill yeah like a surrogate to fill that role that John Cusack was meant to be. And he might not be as wise, but he is, like, wiser than Gordy is being throughout the entire movie, where he talks about maybe just taking the shop classes instead of the preparatory courses for college. And he's right. like, I think that's stupid. what happens you when you crazy? go through bullshit, though. It it, it kind of makes you grow up, fit, like, sooner. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. I uh, Growing up, I had a lot of bullshit in my life, you know, and uh, I was forced to grow up faster than I, you know, maybe should have. And I didn't appreciate um, being a child. And I wanted, I was one of those kids that, like, I turned 16 and I was like, let's party. You know, I turned 12 and I was like, I should be able to stay at all as late as I want, mom. My mom's like, you're fucking 12. Like, (laughs) you're, you know? So I can, you know, this this movie really resonates with me as an adult. And it, it, I, yeah, I was going to ask you guys. Because I have a, a, like a literal question for the both of you. Nice. Um, this movie for me, it it's not a nostalgic movie. It's not something I watched a lot when I was a kid, but I do feel like it is uh, encapsulating a sense of timelessness because it is presenting you with the idea of childhood in a what we would arguably say is a simpler time, where right. they don't all have technology they don't even have like like telephones to call each other to plan things they have to like plan out what they're going to do over the course of two days without pulling out like a map and being like it's going to take us this long to get here they just know because they've done it before kind of thing and i remember having those kind of feelings when i was a kid like riding around on my bike and stuff which was one thing i was like these kids don't have bikes but i guess whatever maybe bikes weren't invented i think they're all like poor Poor kids. I think they're all supposed to be like. Yeah. Oh, actually, right. yeah, because I think there was a there was a there was a line. I think someone said something about the people the some about the people with the view or whatever. Like there's like uh, like a group yes, of people that's that like, have the, like, uh, like, there's the it's the scene when he's crying about the milk money to uh, Gordy, and he right. says, "Do you yeah, think yeah, if yeah. one of the kids from the view stole the milk money if she would do that to them?" Yeah, and they both say, "No fucking way, man," <laughs> and it's it's because they're probably rich kids, right? Like you would assume yeah. the view means they live on a hill and they literally look down at people who are like, yeah, exactly. In shittier homes. and stuff. It was a great, um, uh, like metaphor. And also no explanation needed. You hear that. You think if the kids from the view did that, like, you're just like, Oh yeah. I, I kind of understand what that means without them having to go into like a lot of depth, which I also yeah. think is kind of the beauty of this movie overall which is like the bond of these four kids is almost immediate like it, it, it's almost just that treehouse scene at the very mo- beginning of the movie that lets you understand the dynamic of their relationships between each other with a little bit of sprinkling of richard dreyfus's um narration and just the way that they're talking to each other and um like playing off of each other yeah. and rather than it being like 45 minutes of um exposition to try and try and explain to you who these kids are you already know it after that scene is over and the rest of the movie is just um 
kind of expanding on it or exploring it through their misadventures as they're going down this railroad track, which is amazing because generally you need a whole first act to be able to understand these kids. But it's like, no, he, his dad tried to burn his ear and he's a wild man. And he tries to like play chicken with a train within the first 20 minutes of the movie. That's, and you're that's like, what I you noticed about this kidding. movie. And what's the, somebody asked me, I didn't know how long do you think stand by me is? I would say easily two hours easily. Yeah. It, it has such a big, yeah. you know, it has such a big spot in my like movie memory. But I turned it on and it was it's like an hour and twenty seven minutes. Yeah. And they get to the the home alone of it, as I call <laughs> it. They get to the point, you know, they get to that train track within fifteen minutes. Yeah. And they're, yeah. you know, that's what I like about old we, movies. Get, yeah, I mean, eighties no, movies are all typically. 90 minutes. Yeah, and I I do, I think that they probably went out to make this movie thinking that it was probably not going to be rated R, and then they were not, they were kind of like steadfast on keeping the things that they had in it, because to sacrifice any of those heavy moments, like, imagine they were like, you can can do the leech part, but you can't can't do the blood. Like, it wouldn't be as impactful as it is if there was no blood in that part. Like it, would the be, whole, it would be a lot more comedic if he passed out. Everybody, just would, everybody would start laughing in the theater, but the blood is what makes it be like, you're giggling because he makes a funny face and falls over, but like, yeah, <laughs> understandably, he just pulled yeah. out of his underwear a bloody insect. Um, and like the same goes for all of the scenes where they're cursing. They don't overly curse in this show or in this movie. But they do curse enough that seems realistic. Like, I, I think about myself at 12, and I didn't curse as much as I do now as an adult. But when I did, it was always impactful. I was cursing for a reason. And, that, and that's yeah. what kind of it feels like in this movie. Do you guys remember when you first cursed? I, well, yeah, I, I got into cursing. Like, I suddenly was like, oh, cursing is dope. Let's all swear a bunch. But the most, the biggest memory I have of swearing around my parents specifically is uh, my my mom, me and my mom were driving and I had heard cunt and I was like, mom what does cunt mean? And she <laughs> slammed on the brakes. That's a big curse, Jason. Did I you know. hear it on the radio? Like, I don't know, one of my friends. Before cunt? <laughs> like, no, I did, but one of my friends said it. Anyway, she slams on the brakes and pulls over and she like scream cried, never say that word at me. Oh my god! So I learned like, the impact of home. yeah. <laughs> like, but mom, it's it's fifteen miles. It Why literally was. Um, I learned real real fast not to say that word. Uh, but I do remember my aunt or like before that being like, "I heard you and your friends back at your little tree fort just cursing away." <laughs> so you had a tree fort. We must- it was on the ground. It was a tree fort, but like not up in a yeah. tree. Just like we just like built walls around. Yeah, like the base. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've gone over right. good acting. I so, always wanted uh, a tree fort. What was the question you were going to ask us? I don't. Did you ask? Yeah, us you never asked show? the question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what my question was is: Do you feel that this movie will remain timeless, or do you think that? The Zoom, the Zoomies, and whatever comes after the Zoomers is going to have a disconnect from the idea of not always having technology. Because we have, I, we, we come from a time where we didn't have yeah. technology, so we can remember 
right. being I don't think Gen or... Z knows the camaraderie that these kids know. I don't think I do. I remember going into the woods with three of my friends. Going and on not a having a cell phone and just being there yeah. for as long as you wanted to until you had to go home. But yeah. I think that the generation below us, the new, the, the the next gen, I think that they're they would watch this movie and have no connection to any of it. You're like, why don't you just pull out your phone? And be like, because phones <laughs> were attached to walls and you couldn't take them where you wanted to go. Um, <laughs> well, you could you technically could in the eighties, but you had to be extremely rich and on Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But I mean, it's it's such an odd thing to think about because, you know, the internet was a thing that was invented when we were, or not invented when we were uh, in our, commercialized at the age were... of this, but it, yeah, like there was a point where the internet was like, you couldn't use your landline because your internet was hooked up. And if somebody called <laughs> you, you'd be like, no, I was trying to download a song from <laughs> Napster. <laughs> um, anyway, unimportant. I just wanted you to give me the answer as to people in their 30s, people in their 40s, people in their 50s could watch this and they will be able to consider it timeless. But do you think that there is going to become a time where it's no longer timeless? Because when I think of yeah, timeless, we're I think there, dude. like Star Wars, where it's like Star Wars isn't real. Nothing in Star Wars is ever going to be real. Um, and like you can put that in any era and any age group and people will be like, cool laser guns, laser swords, space fighting, and, like, maybe when we inv invent space fighting, that's when it will no longer be timeless, but... I mean, there's lasers that can melt stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you're not gonna see two people fighting on a volcano being like... No. That's not gonna happen anytime soon. I mean, the politics in in the prequels are, you know... Pretty, poor pretty timeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, have uh, you guys ever watched like old movies before your time and like had like a disconnect to them? Yeah. I had a bit of a disconnect when we watched uh, Rebel Without a Cause, just because everybody was so like like psychologically different. Yeah, Things you know what? Though, so I, much felt, I, I felt a lot more disconnected from those types of movies when I was in my teen years and then once i got right. into my 20s i started to like oh i can put my mindset into these people and i can forget about the technology for a minute and right. still enjoy what's going on in the story so you know maybe it, it, it all just depends on like the maturity of people looking at something artistically over a certain amount of time um you know we we can't rely on the teens but like will those teens turn into people who are a little bit more sophisticated and be able to like watch something like this for what it is rather than being like well as long I as we introduce them to it that's what we're here yeah. for i think my point is though like stand by me makes sense to my brain because it's the 1950s through the lens of the 1980s but yeah. when i was watching rebel without a cause that movie takes place in the 1950s and was filmed yeah. in the 1950s. So yeah. culturally, things are so different that I couldn't wrap my head around that. I think that what's interesting about this movie, though, is that the character who's telling the story is supposed to be in the 1980s. Like, Richard yeah. Dreyfus is writing the He's story. typing a story on an old, and old on an Apple old Mac shitty computer, yeah, where the screen is black With and like the letters are green. One He's sentence paragraphs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the font was like yeah. fucking giant. 
<laughs> no one, nobody in the story tells you that his his dad is actually a shitty writer. Like he's just he's not a good writer. He's just a writer. He's the and then we a, sang the song "Stand by Me." Okay, so I think you guys answered that question for me. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I feel similarly, but I, I think that like I I'm able to kind of like put myself into that mindset of a kid going down the railroad tracks with my buddies more so than somebody who's growing up right now will ever be able to. But Absolutely. I don't know. Maybe there's kids right now roaming down railroad tracks and we just don't know about it. Is it possible that there are parents who are, you know, in their 40s, they have kids that are teens that are like, live in rural areas and they're trying to hold on to those things and they're like, leave your cell phones inside and go out to the yeah. fucking woods. That, I could see that still I mean, happening. It, could... it is possible, but I also feel like there's so much terror around like everything nowadays that maybe That's maybe true. Everyone's like, you can go out, just take your phone and call me. But also, when they wrong. come home, when they come home, they just will go onto the internet. Yeah. Even if they spent all day, you know, off of off of the line, <laughs> off the grid. Yeah. I gotta stay. The soundtrack to this movie was dope. Yeah. One of the nice... I'm not sure, like, I'm sure there's a word for it, like, kind of like a transition, maybe, or whatever. Like, when we first see Gordy, and he's going to the uh, the treehouse, and then Rock and Robin's playing. He pops yeah. in the treetops all the day long. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's some and good musical choices. They're all very... Uh, that's another thing. Um, in terms of nostalgia, I, I have here that... Uh, the music in this movie is weirdly nostalgic for somebody who was born 20 to 30 years after those <laughs> right? songs were hits, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think it's Well, because... this made Stand By Me a, a number one hit again. Like, Stand By Me was like yeah. a hit when it first came out, and then when this came out, it became a hit again. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, that is amazing. And I believe that they were approaching Michael Jackson to do a remake of the song, and then they decided to not do it because he asked for too much money. <laughs> and yeah, also, about they're that. like, you Probably. know what? The original song is fine. <laughs> and it so, makes more I, sense because the movie takes place when it was released. I will say um, it is now five after ten. We've been talking to this for an hour, uh, which means we got to wrap things up here. Friends. Yo, wrap that shit up, B. Oh, God. Before, okay. before we wrap it up, though, I just wanted to point out that the budget for this movie was $8 million, and the return on investment was $52 million. So, for a novella turned into a movie, this movie did extremely well. And I think Killed that's it. another reason why it sticks in everybody's head. It's like a, a classic movie. So, um, let's, uh, let's go around and give our final thoughts um steve if you want to start us off okay um <clears throat> so i think i'll start off by saying that um all of the characters in this movie the main characters the main four kids um they did a very good job but more importantly they become very sympathetic in a big way very early on which invests you as a viewer um, into each and every one of them for a different reason. 
And I, you know, the, the nicknames that I gave them at the beginning, I, that wasn't just in jest. Like I, I mean all of those when I say that, and those are the reasons that I, I think that they're all important to the story. And if you were to remove any of them, it probably wouldn't work as well. You need that sort of weird precarious balance. Okay. Um, even Teddy, who doesn't seem to be very integral to the development of the other characters, he needs to be there to sort of form this chaos. Yeah. And one thing that I was thinking about during the movie was that you don't see any of the other characters' families. And I know I went into this a little bit, but I didn't go into why I think that is. And I think it's because um, the other characters... Um, the story takes place over the course of two days, right? Like, from beginning to end, it's like they get up, they go out, and then they uh, they get to, you know, their sleeping point, and then they get to the end where they find the body. Oh, I also wrote, Ryan Reynolds plays a good dead kid. Because <laughs> that guy that kinda... Ryan, Ryan Reynolds? No, it's not, but oh. it kind of looks like him. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I looked it up. I'll, I'll... Yeah. Um, I would have believed that. <laughs> So the story takes place um, over the course of two days, but it's all through the hearsay and sort of like a broken telephone style storytelling of Gordy's experience um, as it's kind of unfolding. And it's like this guy writing the story um, over the two days. But I think that it strengthens the ideas of the home life uh, issues for each kid in the same way that like a horror movie does if you don't show the monster. Um, just yeah. hearing these small tidbits of each person's home life, uh, it heightens not the fear, but sort of like the reality. And you're trying to see these kids through this like broken world that they live inside of through Gordy's eyes and not just through yeah, the eyes of like doing a flashback. So like if you were to see um, Teddy's ear being burnt on the stove, rather than just seeing the burn. Like, you can see the burn there in the first scene that he's shot in, and you're like, holy fuck, what happened to his ear? And then they say, like, his dad put his ear to the stove. Um, and then you later learn the effects that the war may or may not have had. Your theory was interesting, Jason, but um, if it was the war, it's not even being told to you early on. Like, he says his dad put his ear to the thing, to the stove, and burned it, almost burned it off. But you don't find out more about his dad until, like, the childish taunts of this scrapyard man. Um, <laughs> it leaves this mystery of this, like, monster dad. But rather than him being like, yeah, my dad is a piece of shit. He tried to burn my ear off. He's like, no, don't you dare talk about my dad about like that. And he, he's basically torn up trying to defend this person that burned his ear off. We know that Chris is going to die. Right out of the gate, you see the the title, and then uh, Gordy goes into like the first time I saw a dead body was when I was twelve years old, and that goes into uh, you know the kids. But you learn within the first few seconds that he's going to die, which I think is more digestible to see through all the care that he has for his friends. Like he literally cares for them so much; <laughs> it's like right. heartbreaking that you know he's going to die and you almost forget that he dies by the end of the story. You're like, man, this kid is, he's so strong. And then that heartache kind of comes all the way back and you feel the same sort of heartache that he feels where 
he feels like he's never going to be able to succeed in life and that he did succeed in life and then he died tragically being stabbed in the neck by some asshole at a fucking restaurant um and to see all of his uh home life would have been depressing in the story it probably would have been powerful and scary to watch but it might have overpowered all of those little moments where he's being a dad as a 12 year old to his friends and um i think the most the best thing that happens in the movie in my opinion is when gordy turns to richie when they're sorry not richie chris when they're on the uh train tracks and he says am i weird and this is a question i think all the time about every friend that i've (laughs) ever had being like am i weird like am i fucking weird and he says yeah and he's like, no, I'm being serious. Am I re- Am I weird? And he's like, yeah, you are weird, but so is everybody. Everybody's yeah, so- weird. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so true. Everybody is weird. <laughs> as weird as I am, so are you, so are you. And that's fine. <laughs> and then the very last thing that is spoken in the movie is uh, Gordy's dad, or G- Gordy's son, opens the door, and I guess they're trying to go to the beach or something. He's like, can we go? And he's like, yeah, I'll be out in half an hour. And he's like, you said that half an hour ago. And he's like, yeah, sorry, my dad is really weird. He just gets like that when he's writing. When he's writing. Whoa. He is weird. Everyone's weird. And like, (laughs) nobody's perfect. Everybody has like crazy shit going on in their lives. And this movie is like, to me, timeless in a way, because like, that's kind of sort of the, the, the idea behind it all is like, Everybody probably has one story that they could tell that is just as crazy as this, if not crazier, maybe a little bit less crazy, but everybody has at least one story like this inside of them. And I think that's the point of Stand By Me. All right, Caleb. Sorry, that was a little long. (laughs) That was was well put. I hate to to follow it up. Um, I'll say this much. The movie was well executed. There wasn't really any, like, like dull moments, any drawl, like any anything dragging along, like everything was kind of, you know, every few minutes something was happening. Um, I could, and may, you know, I'm sure other people feel this way too. But like, I could, there's like little bits of each of them that I could see in myself, um, mm-hmm. which I think is you know helps you know people relate to it. Um, damn, that was I, your speech was great. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I I mean, it just came off my tongue. I didn't really think about it too hard. <laughs> just let the words it, yeah. flow, Chris. Don't worry, we're all a little bit weird. What are you, a lit major? <laughs> I mean, uh, overall lit as in, up. like, yeah. I smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, it's, it's hard to follow up uh two people but honestly i um i had a good time watching it today i uh it's uh it's one of those movies that i really needed to sit and like sit through all the way start to finish that i never i never did you know and i've only seen a bit of pieces and it sort of connected a lot of dots for me as well and what steve says to, to his point about everybody being a little weird I really, you know, that's a really eloquent way to put it. And the other part is the, like, just, the, I like seeing camaraderie and where Sandlot failed in, in, it did show the camaraderie, but it was much more cartoony. This showed it in a much, much more visceral, realistic way, how friends actually are with one another. 
and I really, I really enjoyed that, and I really appreciated that. Um, I, but I did end the movie and say to myself, you know, I, I don't think I can rate this movie that high. I, I think I'm going to give it a like a two point, like a like a three point two, and that's not fair. That's not fair at all because through talking about it and 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 you know learning more about you guys through the lens of this movie. And, you know, maybe learning a little bit about myself and really reflecting on it, it actually bumps this movie up to a easy 4.2. You know, like, really just, it, it took talking, me and Kaylin have had this happen to us before where we, we, we talked for a second before the movie and we're like, oh, God. And by the time we've talked about it, we've jumped the movie a full point grade almost. And that's yeah. what happened with me through this talk because this is, this is the first podcast we've had where we didn't even diverge i mean i got i started talking about maximum overdrive a little bit maybe that was inappropriate maybe that you know wasted some of our time but yeah, there's a little bit of a swerve on the highway if you know what i mean hey oh emilio um but yeah so um with that uh this this was an excellent episode and um uh, thank you both as always i just want to ask you uh, one final time today. Hey, did you see this one? Oh, hey. Did you see this one? <laughs> hey, did you guys see this one? <laughs> Sincerely. Hey, did you see this one? Sincerely. Oh, I wanted to say, uh, give me some skin. Give me some skin. <laughs> So for everybody on Jason, uh, we we went a little a little over time this week, but that's okay. Sometimes we going to talk, and uh, it was a good movie, man. It's one of the best. It's one of the greatest movies out there. For Steve, I'm Jason. For Kaylin, I'm Jason. For uh, Jason and Steve, I'm Kellen. For uh, Kaylin and Jason, I'm also Steven. <laughs> I'm going to make you guys do it every single time. Good night. Okay, bye. I'm between the words. I'm read between the lines. Well, this is the lines won't be there when this comes up later. These lines. Oh. Bye. <laughs>